Hello, church. Uh, I'm going to give the Bible reading today. Um, Hopefully you have brought your Bibles to read along. Can I encourage you to do that, uh, particularly while we don't have access to the Pew Bibles, uh, but to bring your Bible to read from as we uh, look at God's Word. Um, The passage today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Be nice to know when Jesus is coming back, wouldn't it? I mean, so you could like schedule it in your diary or something. You know, uh, sorry, love to have coffee that day, but uh, ooh, looks like I'll be busy with the whole return of Christ to judge the world thing. Uh, maybe later. Uh, be helpful with making purchases as well, wouldn't it? Would you like the extended warranty on that? Ooh, not unless it covers acts of God. Uh, it'd be nice to know how much time we've got left, or at least some of the signs that we've entered the final season. But we don't. Having spoken about Christ's return last week, Paul begins this week's passage by saying, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, or perhaps a better translation, about times and seasons, we do not need to write to you. Why not? Because it's pointless. When Jesus returns, the day of the Lord, it's going to... Oh, sorry, that's awkward. I get frustrated when other people don't do that and... Probably should take this. You can, you can listen in if you want. Uh, hello? Hi, is that a Mr. Tim McBride? Uh, yes, this is, this is Thank Tim. Thank you, Mr. McBride. Uh, I was just inquiring as to whether you plan to be home later tonight. Y- yeah, I suppose. Why? This is just a courtesy call to inform you that you may wish to make alternative arrangements for tonight to avoid any unpleasantness. O- alternative arrangements? Unpleasantness? Uh, what are you talking about? This is a service we provide for all of our victims so that our proposed burglary of your premises might go as smoothly as possible for you. Burglary? If we pop over around 11, do you think you'd be able to be out by then? Maybe just pop a key under the mat if you want to minimise structural damage. Yeah, okay, will do. Uh, And I'll put in a courtesy call to the police so they can make arrangements for your stay with them to be as comfortable as possible. Uh, I... Can I put you on hold for a minute, just while I consult with my supervisor, please? What kind of burglar does that? Phones ahead to make an appointment. I mean, of course they don't, right? Otherwise, you'd be ready for them. Likewise, says Paul, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Right? It'll be a surprise, without warning, when you least expect it. While people are saying peace and safety... Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. That's been the state of our world, hasn't it? 
drifting along, not realizing the judgment that's going to come upon it, without warning, all the while thinking everything is okay. Paul describes them as saying, peace and safety. And this was a bit of a political slogan back in the first century Roman Empire. Uh, like back in you know, 2008 uh, with Obama saying, yes, we can, or, or change we can believe in. Or eight years later, drain the swamp and make America great again. Uh, perhaps a bit closer to home, you might remember moving forward, or axe the tax, or, or jobs and growth. But back in the Roman Empire, the slogan was peace and safety. The slogan that extolled the benefits of the regime. Peace and safety, courtesy of the empire and its glorious, almost godlike emperor. Security and political stability so that we can all get on with the business of living our lives, making money, free from fear and unrest. Sound familiar? We might not say peace and safety. We're more likely to say things like stop the boats or jobs and growth, but it, it means the same thing. It's a focus on the here and now, on material prosperity, and on insulating ourselves as much as we possibly can from all of the bad stuff that's out there, sticking our head in the sand and thinking it will forever go on being business as usual. That great Aussie slogan, she'll be right. I mean, even the pandemic hasn't shaken us all that much. You know, once we've stocked up on enough toilet paper to survive even the most bowel-punishing apocalypse, we got back to our reassuring slogans pretty quickly, didn't we? You know, first off, it was flatten the curve, uh, all in this together, uh, stay COVID-free and do the three, uh, and now it's kind of living the new normal. And we kind of had to do this, you know, like on the one latex-gloved hand, it's been an important way to help our world through its truly global, first global crisis since World War II. But on the other surgically scrubbed one, it represents a return to business as usual, doesn't it? Peace and safety, the new normal. Avoiding confronting the reality that we are not in control of our destiny. And it's against this kind of backdrop, says Paul, that Christ will return. When it's least expected, without warning, this complacent, self-reliant world will be judged for its godless rebellion. But not us. Because we're not like that. This is how Paul describes those of us who belong to Jesus. Verse 4, he says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. Now here, this is the first of Paul's word plays in this passage, contrasting night and day, or light and darkness. But here, as throughout the passage, he slips in between uh, literal meanings and metaphorical uses. Because literal thieves, they come in the literal night most of the time, don't they? And as he says later on in verse 7, literal drunkenness also happens most often in the literal night time. But he's also using darkness as a metaphor for the state of the world. The state of a world that is living apart from God in immorality and ignorance. A world that, ethically speaking, is in a permanent state of nighttime. But we're not like that. We're not in this metaphorical darkness. We belong to the light. We belong to the daytime. Why is that? It's because through the grace and the mercy of God, we know the truth. 
As the ancient Greek playwright Euripides wrote, night is the time for thieves, but daylight is the time for truth. Maybe Paul had that in mind, using these polar opposites, light and dark, night and day. In using these opposites, Paul is trying to stress the difference between us and the rest of the world. Because we belong to Christ, we are now of a completely different character. We're not like the rest. We belong to the day. Now, particularly for younger Christians, a lot of the time the temptation is to try to hide this difference, uh, to try as much as possible to look like the rest of the world. Let me say, in many ways, this is not a bad thing. Uh, Christians have often been unnecessarily different in surface things like clothing and music and jargon. Uh, not for the first time, I point you to Exhibit A. Jesus is a friend of mine. No never gets old, does it? Jesus is a friend of mine. But the word Christian has almost irreversibly been associated with uncool, inviting ridicule, which is unfortunate, but I think often provoking a summary dismissal of the gospel because of it. And that's tragic. So yes, we need to come across like that where possible. Uh, Sorry, to avoid coming across like that where possible. We need to follow the Apostle Paul's example of becoming like those we are trying to reach. All things to all people, building bridges with our culture. But having said that, realize that in terms of our character, in terms of who we are, we are still different. And don't be ashamed of that. Don't try to hide that. By the grace of God... And only by the grace of God, you now belong to the day. You are no longer in darkness. You are the light of the world. So wear that with confidence. Wear that with self-assurance. Because although you might be in the same places as everyone else, you might be dressed the same way that everyone else is, you might be involved in the same kinds of activities that everyone else is, you belong to the day. And people will see that. They will see that when you treat others with compassion. Bearing with the more difficult and awkward people in your group, not, not going out of your way to, um, you know, to, to talk behind their back, uh, not avoiding them, but being different, being compassionate, being inclusive. They'll see you living with different priorities, that you're less concerned with building wealth or building popularity, that although you enjoy watching sport or hanging with friends, there are things in life that are more important that you have a source of strength to deal with difficulties, that you approach tough times with a different perspective. Now catch a glimpse of what it means to live for eternity rather than simply for the here and now, to live for something that is bigger than just yourself. And a lot of the time, they'll find it intriguing, even attractive. Sure, you might cop a bit of hassling on the surface, but if you consistently and confidently display your difference in these kinds of ways, most of the time you'll get at least a grudging respect. More importantly, you'll be doing your job as children of the light, showing the world what it means to belong to the day. In fact, that's Paul's next point. He says, you're different, so live like it. Verse 6, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who, are, who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So this is Paul's second wordplay where he's mixing literal and metaphorical uses. Because we belong to the day, our life should exhibit daytime sort of behaviours, not nighttime ones. Now, what do people do at night? 
They sleep and get drunk, uh, not necessarily in that order. And they sleep and get drunk in quite a literal fashion in the literal night. Therefore, says Paul, our lives should be the opposite to that. We are to be awake and sober. Now, clearly is not being primarily literal, right? I mean, although we belong to the day, Christians still need literal sleep. Although certain Christians you may know have a caffeine problem, uh, even certain pastors, uh, thank you. That's better. Um, having the Holy Spirit is not the same as taking no-dos. Christians obviously need sleep, just like everyone else. So being awake and sober, as opposed to being asleep and drunk, is a metaphor. What he's saying is don't be lulled into the indifference of this world, a world that's asleep to God and blissfully unaware of the coming judgment. He's saying don't be dragged into the depravity of this world, a world that's living in immorality and self-indulgence under the influence, and therefore unable to control its behavior. He says, we're not like that. As children of the day, be awake, be alert to God and his rule in the world. Be sober, be self-controlled. Now, the cleverness of Paul's wordplay is that one way of behaving in a sober manner is by being literally sober. Right? That is, although being awake and sober instead of asleep and drunk has broad application to all of life, and we'll get there in a minute, it does have a literal application too. Simply don't get drunk. Now that's not saying don't drink alcohol. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. Well, you might think it's a wise choice not to. And if you're under 18, those of you, uh, it's against the law and God tells us to respect and obey the laws of our land. For adults, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink. It does say you can't get drunk. Why? Well, I think there are two reasons. Firstly, being drunk means that you've lost a measure of control over your actions. Something else is controlling you. Uh, in his letters to Timothy and Titus, Paul links not being drunk with being self-controlled. In his letter to the Ephesians, he says that being drunk leads to debauchery, that is to immoral actions. And as Ange said a couple of weeks ago, when we're drunk, we're more likely to make ungodly choices in the area of sex in particular, but also in being aggressive, in being unloving, in seeking the wrong kind of attention, and engaging in behaviours that risk our own lives and risk the lives of others. Being drunk is the opposite of what a follower of Jesus, a child of the light, should be. That is, self-controlled and living to please God. But secondly, habitual drunkenness is idolatry. It's replacing God as your source of enjoyment and satisfaction, relying on the effect of a chemical to feel good rather than looking to God. I like to be upfront about my hypocrisy. Uh, although I do feel there's a difference. I mean, for a start, all you got to do is ask my family if I'm more godly before my first coffee of the morning or after. <laughs> but more seriously, uh, part of the intoxicating effect of alcohol and substances like that is that loss of control, that of losing your inhibitions, of being taken over by an external force. Uh, again, in Ephesians, Paul contrasts being drunk on wine with being filled with the Spirit. Capital S referring to the Holy Spirit. And that's it, isn't it? By getting drunk, we are allowing alcohol to replace God as our source of pleasure. We yearn to lose ourselves in something bigger, to be taken over by a feeling of exhilaration, our fears and our inhibitions fading away. 
When you think about it, that's our desire for God talking. That's because we were created for a relationship with nothing less than the powerful, unfathomable, awe-inspiring creator of our universe. And we choose instead to get a temporary high from the contents of a bottle. We trade the thrill of being a child of God for what's essentially a swig of rotten fruit and vegetables. But since we belong to the day, and not to the night, since we belong to the day, that is not our choice. In the face of a culture that sees binge drinking as normal, that views alcohol as some kind of God, that bows down to this glass-bottled idol and indulges in all kinds of shameful worship like the pagans of old, in the face of all of this, we shine as children of the light. Again, we show that we are different, that we don't need it, either by not drinking or by being able to enjoy an alcoholic drink over the course of an evening without having to get drunk. I mean, forget summer. Who made beer or anything else the boss of us? Paul says, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let's be awake and sober. And that, of course, involves far more than simply avoiding alcohol. Being awake to God means that we don't medicate ourselves with all of the other distractions in our society. That we are not so immersed in TV, in celebrities, in sport, in online gaming, in gambling, in social media, in the lives of our children or the lifestyles of our peers, so much so that we become asleep to God. That we become so much like the world around us that we, we forget that we're different. We forget that we belong to the light. So being sober means that we are self-controlled in everything, not mastered by anything so that it replaces God as the guiding force in our life. Because we belong to the day. And because we belong to the day, we need not just to be sober, but awake. Alert to what's really going on in our world. Not buying into the peace and safety slogans of the empire. Or or the opposite, recognizing all of the problems and the suffering and the evil in this world and thinking that human action alone is going to somehow solve it. We need to be awake to see how God sees his world rather than falling for the world's lies. We need to be awake so that when our world does something that is in line with God's purposes for our world, we get on board. So when the world decides it wants to feed the hungry, when it decides it wants to defend the marginalized, to care for the foreigner, to address racial inequality, to put a stop to sexual abuse and assault, and to properly steward the world's resources, we should be there going, hey, that's what God's been in the business of doing all along. We're right there with you. We also need to be awake to the fact that most of the time, our world is engaging in this without acknowledging its creator. The one who made this world that we're caring for. The one in whose image every person was created. And the one who one day will judge us all for how we've borne that image in his world. We need to be awake. We need to be alert and wise to discern which parts of the world's agenda are not part of God's plan for humanity. And that will sometimes mean making a stand against them that will make us unpopular. Yet when they do echo God's plan to participate, we, we participate. And we nuance our participation in them so it's clear that we are doing it because of God. We're doing it because we belong to God, because we belong to the day. Not only are we of different character, 
Not only do we behave differently, we also then have a different destiny. Verse 8, because we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we belong to God, since he's at work rescuing us from the judgment facing our world that's in darkness, put on the armor that he provides, the armor of God. Uh, Here Paul is drawing on an image from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Uh, I'm going to read it to you in a second, have a listen. Uh, The context in Isaiah's day is about a, a rebellious world where there was no justice, no right living, a world in darkness and deserving of judgment. This is talking about God. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they've done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. So that passage in Isaiah, God is the one who's wearing the armor. He's doing the fighting, right? The breastplate of righteousness. And he wears the helmet of salvation. He comes and he brings judgment to those who are doing evil. And he brings salvation to those who repent. But here in Thessalonians, who wears the armor? We do. We put on the armor that's been provided for us by God. His armor in which he's already won the victory. We put on his armor. We put on the righteous character that he has given us. We put on the hope of salvation that he has won for us. It's this action of God is what makes us different. It's what enables us to live up to who we are. It's his victory that gives us assurance of our destiny. The victory that he won on the cross. As Paul says in verse 10, he died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live together with him. Again, a little bit of a wordplay with awake and asleep, uh, but this time a different metaphor, meaning alive or dead. In other words, Jesus died in our place, paying the penalty for our sin. He was raised to new life, and the result of that is we will live together with him when he returns. Whether we're still alive at the time, still awake, or whether we're dead, whether we've fallen asleep. We belong to the day. So that on that day, when Jesus returns, we have the certainty of being with him forever. So we don't know when Jesus is turning up. But we don't need to know. Because the day of his coming isn't something that we need to fear. We don't belong to the night. We belong to the day because we belong to Jesus. And that day, it belongs to him. I've asked the music team to come up now and to lead us in a song. It's a bit of an old one, uh, I think a good one. Uh, But when you sing the words with your masks on, obviously, uh, you will see how much it's taken directly from this passage, reminding us that we are different. We belong to the day and we look forward to the day when Jesus returns.